There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show. I'm delighted to uh, welcome you. It's uh, this, this particular edition is live on the 9th of September um, 2022. Uh, I'm with uh, Michael Landers, my special guest today, um, who's uh, been on the show before and was so good, I had to invite him back again. Um, just also just want to, uh, well, well, we should dedicate this one to our Queen, actually, that we sadly lost last night uh, in the UK. Uh, and uh, I know she had an impact all over the world. Um, so, yeah, really, really sad. She certainly impacted um, cultures and lots of cultures across across the globe. And uh, I once had the presence of op opportunity to be in her presence and uh, her aura was just uh, incredible. And I think uh, in terms of elevating leadership for a better world, I think she's somebody who did that. Um, she was a real inspiration. So, yeah, I dedicate this show to to her and uh, to our, our royal family and anybody who kind of cares about her and, uh, and, and is feeling a little bit a little bit sad today uh, at the news. Um, but, you know, life, it moves on. Um, and that's why we've got to, you know, like the Queen, make the most of our time while we're here, I believe, and, uh, and make the, the best contribution that we can uh, with the situation that we have and uh, and fulfilling our potential. On last week's show, we, we talked to um, Mark Given, uh, who is an expert on trust. Uh, we talked about trust for a better world and looked at the different uh, components again of trust. And it's just such an important thing. I think you know, I think my experience of the world actually is it's full of a lot of kind people and a lot of people who mean well. And we can easily get um, kind of start to believe that actually maybe the world isn't as a, a place that uh, has as much trust as it really is. We look at the media that look for extraordinary stories and they kind of undermine that. But generally, wherever you go and I know my guest today who's traveled all over the globe, uh, Michael, may agree or we shall see. But everywhere I've been to, I've, I've met people who have been uh, been wonderful and kind and uh, and friendly and uh, and and supportive, and I think that comes down to um, a realization that um, most people, when it comes down to it, are, um, are good at heart. So um, today we're going to talk about the three keys succeeding across cultures, and you know it's so easy, isn't it, in today's multicultural world to to have misunderstandings. You know, more so than ever, we are we are a blend in many countries of uh, of people from different cultures. And, and I remember when I first look, looked at culture many, many years ago, when I was first in business and I remember seeing when I was in my Mars days, a, a guy called Franz Trumpenauer, I think he was called, came to talk to us. And he was he was great. Um, but I thought of uh, culture at that time as as being about, you know, when I visited other countries and and it's not like that anymore. My my guest today in his uh, his great book, um, the Culture Crossing, um, it was one little statement right at the beginning of the book where he stated that in California, where he's from, there were thirty five recognised nationalities speaking more than fifty five languages, and I just think that is incredible. So opportunities for misunderstanding 
um, or building better intercultural relationships um, really abound. Now, Michael Landers, MA, is the founder and president of Culture Crossing, Inc. It's a global consulting company. He's dedicated to finding innovative solutions for groups, for individuals working in a multicultural marketplace. And over 20 years, he has run multiple workshops, seminars, speaking events that have drawn um, more than 100,000 people plus um, that he's impacted on five continents. He's quite fascinating. You know, I'm embarrassed looking at this because um, speaking English and the, the the tiniest bit of poor French, um, he's um, <laughs> lives in America, but he was raised in Colombia, Brazil, and the Dominican Republic, and he speaks um, Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese, um, fluently. He said he's proficient in Japanese and Italian, and he's the author of the best-selling book Culture Crossing, and uh, a brilliant book on presence as well, which um, we interviewed him on. For, for a little, you know, about a year ago, I suspect. So, how do we span the culture crossing, and what are the three keys to succeeding across cultures? A big welcome to Michael Landers. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Thank you for that intro, and good to be here. Um, hello to everybody. Wow. Happy Friday for those of you who it's still Friday. Yeah, yeah, Fr Friday. It's uh, it's good, isn't it, to get to Friday? You, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to get there, yeah. It, that that tells that tells us how our week was. If you're like, it's good to get here. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. We got it. We, we succeeded. But yeah, but excellent. And, and yes, and, and condolences to to um, the family, royal family and uh, passing of the queen who lived a long and amazing life and, you know, impacted culture. No doubt. Yeah. Oh, she did. Yeah. Yeah. 96 yeah. years is, is incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And if anybody hears just a little bit of rustling in the background, I, I am I'm actually alone here today with, with a new pop. So um She's very quiet. She's um seems to be quite good as gold, though I am a little weary this week after um after being up a few times in the night. Um, <laughs> but if you hear any little little noise in the background, um, that's why. So just tell us a little bit, since we we were last interviewed you, yeah, and you were last on the show. I know you're based in California. What's been going on for you? Yeah. So I mean, as things obviously all of us dealing with some level of of the pandemic now kind of switching over for some of us to more endemic. So we're starting to see some things return to some level of normalcy around travel, right? And people expecting um, people to be in person. So that's been an interesting culture shift for me as well, right? Just getting back to doing some things in person and then uh, hybrid events. Um, but, uh, but it's been good. I think one of the things that I'm seeing a lot of is when we look at this idea of succeeding across cultures, it's really succeeding. And when we talk a little bit and, and a little bit about the three keys of succeeding across cultures, it's just about they they, they kind of align with just succeeding, right? And I agree with you that that whole idea of cross-cultural has been a big thing and a big emphasis on the national for years, mm -hmm. right? Oh, I'm going, I'm, I'm from the United States and I'm going to do business in China or I'm from Singapore and I'm going to go do business in the UK or I'm from, the, um, from Bulgaria and I'm going to go do work in Norway, right? Um, and, and those are all real things. But I find that, as you mentioned, the world's becoming more multicultural um, and from, from a national perspective. But also at the end of the day, what I've realized having done this work for so many years is everybody has their own culture. So every time you interact with anybody, it really doesn't matter where you are. We have these things. And this is kind of the name of the book in my company. They're called culture crossings. Mm. And that's really what it's about. And so being more aware of 
what your culture is. And I think we can, we can talk a little bit about what is culture. Cause that's always an interesting uh, answer for different, you know, different people have different answers on it. So getting some clarity around that's always helpful for me. And then also kind of understanding how do I navigate those, stay true to myself, but navigate those where I am having connections. And I am doing things like you talked with your guests last week, building trust and, you know, and doing good and, 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 you know, being happy and you know building relationships all those things that are important to us yeah yeah before we before we go there yeah tell us a little bit about your multicultural experience because you've got an unusual background in having lived in several different countries yeah and, it, know, it, what, what it has been because you must you must have and I, I got this from your book so yeah, I, yeah you you must you know you experienced culture from a different perspective because i guess each time you go into a new culture you feel potentially on the outside yeah you, definitely so, so to work your way through exactly yeah. so so even though i'm i'm Amer- i'm from the united states and my parents are as well um uh, when, when i was three years old we moved so i was really young and um we moved overseas and for the for the better part of my life from three to 18 i was growing up in these different countries coming back to my home in boston every summer so i would have this consistent experience of going in and out of a culture and then on one sense, being a minority in those mm-hmm. cultures, because back to this is like, you know, 70s and 80s, as I date myself, um, there weren't that many Americans in Colombia. There weren't that many Americans in Brazil versus like now, right? Yeah. Um, or other people. So I was definitely a minority. Um, and then I come back to the United States where I would become a majority again, yet feel like a minority because I just had this whole different experience. So that really kind of shaped my my, my business life, honestly, and professionally, because I was constantly crossing cultures and trying to adapt into them, right? And how do I do that? And, and at one point, I went to three high schools in four years in three different countries. Wow. All right. So that was really like a skill, like, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? And, but getting good at it, too. And then almost sometimes then the way the brain works for me is like seeking it, you know, mm. the thing that somebody might not want or, or not want to change for me, I was like constantly seeking change. And there's a phenomenon too, um, that children who grow up in one culture, but are from another culture, um, they're very, very often called TCKs or third culture kids, huh. right? And a third culture, and it's a third culture kid because you're, you're, you're not at home in your home, um, home culture anymore. And you're really not at home in the culture that you're living in anymore. So a third culture arises. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's some interesting kind of dynamics that play out for a lot of children who grow up as TCKs. And then the phenomenon in the last 15, 20 years has been a lot of ATCKs, which is adult third culture kids. And these are people who might have spent their whole life like, you know, in your hometown, but then at 22 started moving around. And for 10, 12 years, they're going from one country to another and never coming back. And so they become a little bit detached from their home culture, but then they don't, they're not totally home in their new culture either. So it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can only, I, the, the country I've spent the most time in outside of the UK is Australia. And I remember kind of worked in Australia for, for a while and I also remember while I was there, there was, you know, I really, there was things I missed about, missed about home. But when I got back home, there was things I missed about Australia. Sure. Uh, and so sure. I actually, I found myself feeling 
ever so slightly unsettled <laughs> and it would have been yeah. where I've been because I, yeah. I there was, <laughs> exactly uh, what, what you missed from it. Right. And so, yeah. So, so imagine that um, kind of taken to another level where it's that it's not that you, you miss those things, but then it's almost like people are looking at you and you, you, you know, you're like, well, you sound American and you quote unquote, and your English is perfect. And, you know, you could say the right things, but yet I'm feeling like I don't fit in. Right. And that's the kind of challenge. And on the flip side, when I was in Colombia, I spoke the language I could fit in, but people would look at me and go, you're not Colombian. Yes. Right. And that's that's that kind of rub that 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 that's a challenge uh, growing up that way. Yes. Interesting country to go to, you know, that to Colombia with the. Yeah. The perception Definitely at that time of the culture. Yeah. 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 And, and so we moved there in the my parents moved there in the. Uh, early mid to mid mid 1970s and uh, we lived there for 15 years off and on and so through some difficult times but um yeah but it was interesting it definitely wasn't like the high end kind of let's go there after we moved uh, we moved from colombia to brazil rio de janeiro and that was more of like the tourist destination so people were like oh yeah we'll come visit you um colombia i don't know but it was safe when we were there either way and what, what do your parents do to yeah, so that's that's a good question because you know my father um, moved around a lot, moved us moved us around a lot. So we we're like, do you work for the CIA, Dad? You know, maybe he did. I don't know. Now he ran he ran international schools, right? Oh. International schools. He was a headmaster. He was a principal, then he was a headmaster, and my mom was a counselor. And so they were originally both teachers, and then they moved into counseling, and my dad moved into administration. So that's kind of why we moved uh, overseas. So yeah, so it was oh. interesting. Yeah. So, so you've you've uh, therefore experienced having to bridge that gap and and to settle into other other cultures. Um, what what do, I mean, what does culture then mean to you? What What is the, what is the mm-hmm. word culture? What's the definition? Yeah, go by? there's so there, there's so many. Right. And, and in the book, we talk a little bit about it. But I but I but the more work I do in this space just the culture space, what I've come to, to truly realize is, and I'm not belittling people's culture by saying this, that's not my intention, but culture at the end of the day is a mental model. That's all it is. It's a way of seeing the world. Yes. Right. And that's at, at its core. That's, that's it. Yet, because it's so ingrained in many of us, we hold on tightly to it. And don't necessarily see it just as a model, but see it as the model, mm. not a model. And I think when you can make that transition from seeing it as a model versus the model, there's a greater chance for success. Yes. And so, yes, cultures, values and behaviors and musics and mindsets and all those things. But really, when you get down to it, it's just a way of operating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how I see it, you know? And so once, once you're able to see it that way, you're not, you're not belittling it or not liking it or not appreciating it, but you open yourself up to seeing yourself and then recognizing how other people might have different ways of seeing things. And the, the real, the real problem and challenge is for me and for everybody and that I work with is not judging it. Mm. That's the real, the, the, the real difficulty there. Um, and there's some things that go beyond, you know, <clears throat> like it goes to the the larger thing of 
hey, there's universal human rights. So you can't call that part of your culture, right? That creates other debates on to whether somebody looks at something and go, that's that's your culture. You do the way you do you versus no, <clears throat> that cannot work. You know, everybody should have the right to not do that or everybody should have the right to have that. But other than those those things, you know, at the end of the day, it's just I'm judging whether I think you're a rude culture or you're a funny culture or your food's spicy or your food is bland, right? Those are just mental models. And so the mm. sooner we get to that, um, I feel the, the greater chance we have to, to really connect across cultures. So, that's what we're saying. so, so what we're saying is it's, um, it's, it's our programming that we, we have a view of how we see the world and mm-hmm. someone else has a view of how they see the world and how we see it impacts our behavior yeah. and, 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 and our actions. Um, exactly. But, and, and that, you know, there's a mismatch. There can be, right? So you don't have to travel to China from the UK or from, you know, United States to Argentina to have the mismatch. Just have a conversation with your sibling or your neighbor or your coworker. <laughs> you'll see, you'll see different cultures right away. That's what I tell people. Like it's really the skills and, and what we help people in organizations with is it doesn't have, they're like, well, we're not a multinational company. I'm like, you don't need to be. Do you have people? Yes. Great. You'll have culture crashes. Yes. Um, so that's, that's, that's what I've learned over the years. But a lot of the work, as you mentioned, started out with that, the, the whole field started out with that international experience. So Fons Trumpenar, as you mentioned, and um, Gert Hofstetter, you know, to Dutch folks who who really go, they kind of founded this intercultural business field from seminal studies. Uh, Gert Hofstede, especially with the, the work he did with IBM around the world, really kind of set that foundation to say, hey, the Brazilians do it this way and the Americans do it this way. Um, and that was really kind of this idea of intercultural relations in the business world. Mm. But for me, it's got, it goes beyond that national really now to all the different cultures we're working with. Um, you know, and we're seeing that with inclusion and, and diversity, right? That's really all about different cultures and different ways of thinking and and, uh, and being open to them. Yeah, I guess I guess we get we get some with this multiculturalism in your own country, and you're working, say, working in an organization with with diversity. Yes, mm-hmm. you get clashes, but there'll also be some probably some dilution over time as people people do adapt and maybe maybe don't expect um you know the same i, I think well I've, well I've seen particular clashes as being you know when you, you you're working with a call center in india or or you you know you're working sure. with, I, I used to yes. run international teams so I, and i loved mm-hmm. it I love, I love the cultural aspect of having you know multiple countries that i would visit and and i would experience something different in each um but you so you would you would go into their into their pond really and you would you would see yeah. See as it really is, but in the same country, and there's often a, often a bit of a dilution. I, I I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I mean, they're they think people ask that a lot, right? And they bring up they're like, hey, given the fact yeah. that there's there's YouTube, and we're we're all sharing all these cultures, are we becoming more of a global culture? And I'd say, in some aspects, 100% yes, but in others, no, right? Um, so it really depends. You know, I think when you go to a new place and you're like, oh, they have all the same stores that, that they have in my place, right? Because of the global nature of business and food. But then how you how you kind of get treated or what customer service is like within those stores might be very different. Um, and then if you spend enough time in that space or in that country, you'll start to see all the other things really kind of shift and change. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so the answer is yes and no. 
Excellent. So, <laughs> I've just got a minute left to commercial break. Yeah, so, go ahead. So, so we so we can see this. We see this in what in in the words we say, body language. Um, yep. you know, what other ways might we experience the culture? Um, yeah, just I mean, <clears throat> just uh, it's interesting how people walk, the way people yeah. dress, what they eat, how they eat, um, way they look at you, the way they don't look at you, <clears throat> all those kind of things, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's really fascinating when I put my cultural lenses on, which are usually on all the time, I'm seeing things, uh, just, I'm picking up on all these different things and the smallest things I just, I keep in my, my, my brain, essentially my brain journal. I just love them. They're just so interesting. And I learn from people all the time because they tell me their culture, right? So I'm always teacher, uh, and I'm always student. Yeah. Right. Because I'm learning a lot from them and then share and just everyone's a teacher in that sense. Tell me about you. Show me you. Right. I can just observe and see a lot in people yeah. and their cultures. And it's a geographical uh, thing just within countries. So I, I yeah, when I, I moved from the north of England to London, the first thing that really struck me was, yes, we, we, we'd all queue, we'd queue for a bus in the same way. But but where I came from, people in the bus would all talk to each other. You know, when I when I go and say good, good morning to people in a bus queue in London, they would yeah. uh, look at me as I was a complete and utter lunatic. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, hundred percent. And then you have somebody coming there who who doesn't who is from a culture that doesn't queue, and then people are really looking like yeah. looking at that person like they're a lunatic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Culture differences within countries are huge, really, and those are the ones that send us sometimes for the biggest challenges because you think, hey, this is my country, but you're like, mm, not so much. You're in a different city, a different state, especially the United States, which we're so large. But yeah, it's big. Excellent. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now. And after right. commercial break, we'll find out what the three keys to succeeding in culture are all about. And we'll explore those. So do join us after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Michael Landers, and we're talking about the three keys to succeeding across cultures. And I don't, I don't know, Michael, you were starting to tell me a story. We're, we're just bouncing around cultural oh, yeah. in the break. Do you want to yeah, well, uh, uh, share your, your Oslo story if it's relevant? Yeah, well, I'll just to give you an idea, we, we were talking during the break just about how, you know, wh- how you notice culture differences and if you're attuned to them, they're they're everywhere, right? Um, and I was saying I was in I was in Norway uh, this summer, a beautiful country, for my first time there, I really oh, loved lovely. it. And lovely. we we were um, checking in at the airport to fly to a different city. Uh, from Oslo, the capital, and um, I had access to one of those lounges, uh, business lounges. So we went in, and it was like eleven o'clock. And if you've ever been in an airport business lounge, anybody who's listening, um, they, you know, these things are usually quite crowded. Um, people, a lot of people have access to them, and there were probably about twenty, twenty-five people in this lounge. That wasn't huge, but it was really nice, excellent food, and just really clean and everything. But we go in there, and my wife and I look at each other because nobody's making any noise. There's 25, 30 people in this lounge at 11 and it's completely quiet. And you're talking families, couples, people. And, 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 you know, my experience just coming, you know, from the United States and other, other places, people talk a lot and they're loud. And so we just really picked up right away and we're like whispering to each other. Can you pass the fork? Can you pass the salt? Right. (laughs) Being very mindful not to want to go in there and go, Hey, yeah, we're over here. I'm sitting over here, hon. Right. And so that's the kind of interesting thing that if, 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 if it's if you pick up on it, and I wanted to not make waves, I wanted to kind of slot right into it. It was just really, it was really kind of palpable. I could really feel the difference in that um, from my personal experience coming from another lounge or another airport where there was very loud. So yeah. that was it was an interesting kind of thing. I'm seeing it all the time. The other interesting thing is when we checked into the hotel in Norway, and this will be very you know a lot of people will understand this, but you know I gave them my credit card. And they looked at me and like said, no, we're not taking that. Right? We're not taking your card, sir. Like they don't take your card ever. They'll never take the, your card off your person. You will run your card um, at a restaurant. They'll come to you and, and you'll do it at the hotel. And he was, he's like, oh, you're from the United States. I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, we don't take cards here. We find that every time we travel to the US. I'm like, so weird. Someone took my card. Where'd they go with it? So yeah, this yeah. is an interesting thing. And I know it's across cultures, but there's, those are other little differences that no matter how global we get, every country is going to have their certain ways of operating. And it's just as simple as do I take the card or do I never, or do you keep your card all the time? Right. Just small things like that are interesting as well, just to look at. Yeah. Even places where, where I've been to places where they've taken my passport off me. Yes. For, and they hold it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So it was just the, the reaction was interesting. It was like, no, no, I do. But the last thing I want to do is take your credit card. And yeah. another country is like, yeah, give me your card because I need to go run it and I'll take it in the back and I'll hold it. You know, just thinking like when people like, do you want to run a tab? They might just hold your credit card behind the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. So, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So. So. So within that, when, when, when we're looking at like the succeeding across cultures, right, because that's kind of what, what we're after. Um, over the years. Uh, early in my career, I was hired a lot to help executives and their families transition from one country to another. And in some cases, we would do what we call pre-departure trainings. You and your family are moving to country Y. I'm going to spend some time before you actually move there to prepare you for it. 
Um, not just the culture of like, remember, you're going to have to do this. This is how you go to the bank and this is how you build trust, but more about what's this experience going to do to you as a person having to shift into live in another whole culture, your children as well. Um, and then in part of that work that we did, a lot of times before the company decided to hire somebody, um, we would assess whether a specific candidate that they were interested in, maybe they were already an internal person working there and they're getting promoted or, or shifted to a different city or country, did they have the skills that were going to make them successful? Because the companies will just say, well, Chris is a, is a is an amazing manager and a leader in his country. So he's going to be great in Shanghai. You know, they're not going to look at it. They're like, Chris gets it. But what we'll look at it is got it. He, he, he knows this there. Let's look at the other aspects of his personality and his management style and his leadership style. And let's see if how they're going to do in another country, right? And then in doing that assessment, you know, over the years, people have come up with lots of different kind of um, keys, but more importantly, behaviors that we look for that says we feel pretty strongly that this person will have some challenges in country. Uh, why? This person we feel has skills that should do really well in country. Why? And each country might be a little different, but there's some core things that we've seen mm -hmm. over the years. And I've kind of distilled them down to three in particular that I see again and again, that'll determine pretty, pretty easily, but not, not hundred percent, but pretty, pretty strongly, whether you'll be successful. And I found that they work with any type of culture, any type of shift of working with different people, right? It doesn't matter if you're moving or not. And so those are kind of the three keys to succeeding across cultures. So no. now we're all saying, what are they? Yeah, come on, Michael, let's <laughs> go. What are you taking too long? Now we in well, tune, in, tune in next week at Chris Cooper's <laughs> Business Elevation Show, and we'll tell you them. Over, we're going to reveal one each week. No, I'm kidding. So the number, one, the, the number one skill, number one key, if you will, is having tolerance for ambiguity. Mm. What does that mean, right? Having an ability, a strong ability, to be able to see more than one way of doing the same thing or more than one way of thinking this, the same way. Because when you move national cultures, there's guaranteed, there's gonna be ways that people do things that are very differently from your own. Yeah. And these could be core to you. Um, let's go with the simplest thing that we all know is what utensil do you use to feed yourself? Mm right? I use a fork. Great. You're moving to a country that uses chopsticks. That mm -hmm. is going to be tolerance for ambiguity. You're, you're moving to a country that uses just the right hand. Okay, great. Right? What do you eat? Oh, that's not food. In other places, maybe it is. Yeah. Right? And so if you don't have a strong ability to be able to see things, the same thing in more than one way, it's going to be very, very challenging to cross cultures. Just mm -hmm. think about interpersonal relationships. Right. That pushes the same thing. If I can be like, oh, I don't I don't like how you do it that way or I don't agree that that's the way you want to, you know, make your bed or keep the house clean or not. There's you're going to constantly be having a lot of crashes. So tolerance for ambiguity is number one. That's the biggest one. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a life skill for me as well, I find. Yeah. Um, and, and the sooner you can recognize your mental model, what, how you see things and then how other people see things, then you can grow that tolerance, if you will, for ambiguity. And do you, when you're going going places, do you, you know, I'm, I'm, one of the reasons I do the show is I'm curious, and I know you are as well. Um, do yeah. you, when you when you go to different places or you with different cultures, are you, are, are you looking for that ambiguity, um, and and trying to 
trying to find it. Because I think that's one of the interesting things about going to a different culture, isn't it? When you're noticing it. Yes, noticing it. So so whenever I'm in a, like, let's say a new culture, and let's say from the national perspective, but again, any country that you live in, if you go into a new town or a new city, anything for the first time, or even second or third, you're going to have opportunity to notice things. Yeah. It's just how attuned are you in that? So yes, for me, when I travel and, and spend time with different people and in different places, I'm always like, my eyes can't help themselves. I'm always looking at, oh, that's interesting. And oh, that's, I wonder, or I'm curious too, wonder what that's going on. Or I noticed people do this and I'll ask somebody from that country, what is that about, right? So yes, I'm very curious. And I find that to be helpful because it just kind of adds to the library of ambiguity, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I guess I can imagine you you collecting all of those examples being- uh... yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And then every time we do workshops and work with people, they add to them because they have their own. I'll mm. pre- I'll present I'll present scenarios and interactive experiences for people, and they'll say, "Oh, this is what happened to me." And I was like, "Wonderful, tell me the story, right?" Um, and I'll give you a quick example. If if you know, please, just to kind of think to to solidify this. So, um, a couple of years ago, I was doing um, a talk, and we were talking about smiling. Right. And then how smiling is really different across cultures. And a woman raised her hand and shared a story. She said, hi, I'm originally from Belarus, uh, Minsk. And she's like, I've been living in the United States for the last 10 years. And I went back to Belarus after, you know, five or six years of living in the U.S. And for those of you who, who have not been to the U.S. or, or, or maybe haven't, haven't interacted so much, um, America tends to be a culture, again, very diverse, but people smile a lot right? It's usually appreciated. I always joke, I say about 70% of the time people smile at you because they want to show happiness or or, or be friendly. Um, 10% of the time they smile at you because they forgot your name, right? Hey, you, how are you, right? Now there's other percent of the time they might smile just because you know they're just like, eh, they, they, they just want to show so, so, some, some basic emotion. But it tends to be more on the smiley side of cultures, in the spectrum of not so smiley cultures and people and super smiley. We're more on the super smiley you know, generally speaking. So she spent time in California, which is more on the super smiley side. She goes back to Belarus. Okay. She gets off the train in Minsk and she's walking down the platform and she sees a policeman and she smiles at him. Okay. And you can imagine what happened. She almost got arrested. Right. Not because people aren't friendly there, but because it was just something that we're like, why are you smiling at me? Like, I don't know you and are something wrong with you? Like, again just from smiling so that's a real interesting thing of being programmed one way doing something that you don't think is a problem at all and then the extreme reaction that it could have yeah you mentioned in your book about bulgaria yes yeah and so bulgaria is always an interesting one in parts of albania where how you nod yes and no right bulgaria is the opposite so we're on a radio show, but if, if I say yes to something, the great majority of people listening here probably put your heads up and down. And if you say no to something, you're going to say right to left. And in Bulgaria, when you say yes to something, it's right to left. And when you say no to something, it's up and down. Mm. So if you try to do that and say no the Bulgarian way or yes the Bulgarian way, your brain literally will hurt. <laughs> and that'll that'll push in on your programming. Right. But guess what? I was joking. If you're going to go to live there and you're in sales or something or anything and you're doing it the opposite, you're going to have you're going to struggle. So so that's the other thing. So tolerance for ambiguity is number one. And then number two is the ability to fail. And, And why we say that is inevitably when you're entering a new culture, 
you are going to make some mistakes. They don't have to be huge cultural faux pas or massive offensive things, but you will make mistakes um, and you will learn and you will, you'll have some struggles. And if you have people from a personality perspective that are uber perfectionists, really, really try to never make a mistake, don't want to see that, always trying to be perfect, 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 that's a tough one to have somebody try to be successful in another culture. So it doesn't mean we, we like to fail, but that you have the ability to, that you can recognize the benefits of it, um, look for help and support and get curious to your point of, oh, how should I do this differently, right? It shows more of a growth mindset, specifically um, across and within cultures. Because it's a great learning opportunity, isn't it? If you choose to see it, to to go and learn and yeah. explore and uh, yeah. understand and yeah, yeah and, pra- and pra- practice, really. I, I think That's one it. Of the- yeah, perhaps I think I think one area maybe where at times I, you know, tipping is quite an interesting one. You know, some some country, cultures, it's very you know, is, is expectation of a tip. Sometimes it's a large tip because they don't get paid an awful lot. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's yeah, embar- yeah. it's uh, people slightly offend if you want to give them a tip. It's, yeah, uh, some, you know, it's, it's, it's really it's, it's interesting. It's a, so that that's again. So think about anything that you do, right? There's a spectrum of it across cultures, from tipping to smiling to holding meetings, to building trust, to all those things. And so that's kind of when you understand those, what I call these, I call them the culture keys, right? When we understand them and recognize that they exist, um, when we're having trouble or not succeeding with So yes, ability to fail and and, and practice. And I think, look at sport, right? When you're learning sport or, or, or getting, trying to become better at something, what happens? You fail, you, yeah. you make mistakes and you get better. And so um that's the same kind of thing that being prepared for that but from an executive standpoint in business failing right whoa i can't do that you know and so so there's a lot of pressure put on people when they kind of go across cultures and then they're they're hired usually because they've been successful Mm. and so when they go and they're not successful it's really throws them for the proverbial loop because they're like oh my god maybe i don't have it and so i work with a lot of people um so I coach a lot of people, but but there's a little the little niche that I've that I've kind of found, Chris, which is I tend to coach a lot of leaders who are moving from one country. So they're from like uh you know the UK or something, but they're going to lead a team in Japan. Yeah. Or they're from you know Brazil and they're gonna go lead a team in the United States. That specific leader, because that's a it's a you have to work with the local population but usually coming from a company from your uh, that's that's from your country and so a lot of those things can go wrong and self-esteem and confidence play a big role mm. so yeah. so sense of humor then i'm sorry ability to fail and then our third key is sense of humor right so i need tolerance for ambiguity ability to see more than one one thing in in, in one way i need the ability to fail because i'm going to make mistakes within that ambiguity and then Simply, I need to laugh at myself that I did that. No. When we talk about sense of humor is, yeah, can you laugh? Can you see the humor? It doesn't mean you tell jokes across cultures because that doesn't usually work. Sarcasm, by the way, doesn't travel well. Um, Dry British humor doesn't travel well. No offense, but, you know, it just doesn't. Um, So I love it, by the way, but, but it doesn't travel well across cultures. But can you see humor in your experience? Can you? see uh some lightness in the challenges and when we look at those three when we assess that people have them there's a they have a better chance of succeeding across cultures yeah yeah 
you give you give an example in your book of uh, of, of a get which president it was with uh, was it a Saudi Arabian leader that was quite a oh yeah I think with it was Bush yeah to George Bush, Bush the Bush. George Bush um the what second happened? junior um Herbert Walker I think um W W Bush yeah so he I think this one so so if you've seen a lot of leaders especially from the West when they get off the plane and say hello to leaders in the Middle East and this was the case Saudi Arabia there's a lot of um holding hands right they they will they will sometimes you know do kisses sometimes they'll rub noses men but then a lot of times they will just hold hands and, and shake hands and go and go walking together and uh kind of when that happened you know you could imagine that the the reaction of the united states were very kind of critical a lot of them of what are you doing holding hands with another man all those kind of things so yeah yeah there was there was a there's an example where in the uk and it was a it was a football referee and he he called a a, a colored player a cheeky monkey yeah and 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 it was it was greeted with you know um, from the in the south of england and probably many places with absolute horror and there was yeah. you know discipline and whatever where i come from in the north of england we call everybody a cheeky monkey yeah you know it's yeah. like oh you cheeky monkey you know it's every it right. doesn't matter what nationality you are it's just um yeah. it's just a little flippant flippant you know warm saying so i, right. I remember hearing that one and thinking you know it was just just like the american people being appalled you know sometimes people can be appalled with something. I'm sure in that there was no negative right. attention meant. Yeah, just a you know a real failure. I mean, yeah, it could be right. It depends on where the, where the term the term is coming from. But because I think especially in in football, you know, around the world, um, you know, fans who might be racist um, uh, will use a monkey chant to players mm. of color. Right. Mm. And even even when we refer to that, like players, players of color, players originally from Africa or, 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 or um, India or it doesn't matter. Right. Latino, it doesn't matter. Hispanic. Um, and I think that's why that word is so, um, you know, disdained yeah. because of because of those connections, even though. And this goes back to, to something that we talk about in the book as well, which is that referee's intention was not was probably I don't know, but was probably not to insult the player from a racial or ethnic like I don't know the referee, but I'm just guessing maybe it wasn't. Yeah. But the impact it had felt that way, and so that's really kind of the foundation of when we have what I call culture crashes versus culture connections. Is when people, when your intention, your intention, you're intending to be respectful, but the way you're demonstrating respect is not impacting that person in the way that you hope. And it might be the way you speak, the words that you use. And then when we put that cultural lens over it, that's where a lot of that misinterpretation of intentions show up and crashes occur. But yeah. if I'm intending to be funny and you laugh at my joke, we connect. Yes. If I'm intending to be funny and you don't laugh at my joke, we don't connect. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with you, Chris? Because I think I'm funny. And you're like, I don't know, Michael, but you're not funny. Crash. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of that happens with how we operate the words that we use, um, the behaviors that we show, all those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, my youngest son said to me, um, Dad, your jokes have ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a clash in there somewhere. <laughs> there is. I, I get, I get, I get, yeah. I was like, when did I start becoming, when I'm a, I'm a father as well. And I'm like, 
when did I start telling dad jokes? Like, you know, yeah. I get called out all the time for telling dad jokes. I'm like, did that just happen? Is that, oh. is that something like evolutionary that happens to fathers? They just start telling bad jokes once they, once they have children. Yeah. I don't I know. I'll we'll have to look at that. Yeah. Um, so we've just got a, a few minutes left yeah. to commercial, um, to the commercial, but to the end of the show. And yes. I just think that in your, um, just sort of briefly in terms of the kind of work you do with customers, you know, you mentioned there that you, you spend time with clients who are going to different countries. Um, yeah. I know you're doing more work with with organizations and and culture now. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So so we do a lot of work with that. And so, so not not just with people who are going to other countries and managing teams in other countries. That's definitely a part of it. But we do a lot of work with people, let's say, within the United States, for example, who are working with multicultural populations. Right. Right. Providing customer service across cultures and within cultures, selling, negotiating, um, all those kind of things, and then. More importantly, from an organizational standpoint, a lot of stuff that we're starting to do is more around diagnostics. You know, um, we have a, a, a diagnostics that, that we're going to be coming out with relatively soon on, on how effective you are working with multicultural populations and for, mm. for multinational companies, how effective you are globally. Um, then from a customer service perspective, we're looking at how consistent and predictable and familiar your experience is for your customers, both internal and external with a bent towards multiculturalism. Yes, fantastic. Well, it's absolutely brilliant, this conversation. I wonder if you've got a final message that you'd like to leave us with. Yeah, so it's a corny little message and uh, I, I tend to follow it as my mantra for the most part, especially when we're working within and across cultures. And it's quite simple, but it's get curious, not furious, mm, right? And yeah. you may have heard it before, but yeah. with, with culture, it's like okay. when something surprises you, this is the, the this is my key, key kind of mm. learning for myself. When something surprises you or shocks you or even bothers you, it's pushing against your mental model of something. Yeah. So it's normal for us to be like, well, that's stupid. And I don't like that. And how dare you? But if you're able to take a pause and go, huh, what's that pushing into? And what's mm. on that other side? You might find yourself um, learning something. Yeah. Right. So getting curious about things that when you see differences or when you things things push in against the way you're doing it. It's a question I wonder, oh, I wonder what why they do. Why is it why are they doing it that way? And I wonder what their intention is. That's the biggest one with, with people. So Fantastic. yeah, that would be my little thing. Excellent. So you can practice that with your families tonight. Yes. <laughs> the weekend. That's that's the definite place to practice. That's your practice right. pitch. Get curious, not furious, and uh, I like that. Um, ambiguity and failure and humor, um, three great um, great keys there um, to help you with the culture culture crossing. Michael, it's been absolutely brilliant. Love the conversation. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Always. Um, yeah. Been, been, been brilliant. Uh, next week's show, we have um, we have Corey Blake, who's joining us again. Uh, Corey is a an amazing storyteller. He's uh, he was in, in Fight Club with Brad Pierce. He was uh, in, in into all sorts of uh, in sort also sort of um, TV and movie and uh, advertising and uh, and so now he's just a, a, got an organisation that specialises in storytelling and and conscious capitalism. Press is one of his uh, uh, brands as well. Uh, so do join us next week with uh, Corey. We're going to talk about the art of surrender, and that's really just it's it's all about you know when going gets tough sometimes rather than fighting and going uphill you have to sort of surrender uh, and um you know may maybe it's time to restructure maybe you've been holding holding off that restructure maybe you've been uh, or 
or pivoting your organization sometimes we have to surrender and look into that and uh, Corey's got some great experience of uh, having having done that and learned the hard way and um, probably quite a few of us had so do join us next week to talk about the art of surrender and once again a huge thank you to Michael Landers any questions about you know I've had some good comments and um, from people um, over the last week and um, people asking me you know uh, could you dig out a particular particular show for me that I found really helpful um, from the from the past it, I think it was I think it was this one but I'm not sure and but, but I love to hear from people and it's, it's always good to be able to help and and connect with those people who are listening so once again um, thank you very much indeed Michael and everybody have a great weekend take care of yourself and uh, and uh, you know once again uh, if you want a, a good a good example of a leader who's really elevated um, her impact across the globe over many years, um, you, you can look at the Queen, I think, uh, because she's done that. So, um, yeah, so she's left me this today feeling um, feeling sad, but also um, elevated as well when I consider actually what she achieved and what's possible when it comes to contributing to a better world. So take care, everybody. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.